your time so empty? No. Well, I run the office and uh, tend the cabins and grounds and, and do little uh, errands for my mother, the one she allows I might be capable of doing. And you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Hello. Hi there. Welcome to Mom and Pop Culture. I'm the mom. Anina Hoffnung, the mom. Ari DeNero, the pop culture. Pop culture kid, 2019. (laughs) So far in our pop culture journey, we've kind of, well, we've talked about different types of pop culture influencing and making, but kind of circling around the same kinds of like that auteurist idea that we talked about, right? Where we would have a musical artist, maybe like Grimes, who has, you know, other talents and art forms also that we talked about, um, which I think was great to talk about because, like I said in that episode, I think some of the best people to talk about as pop culture influencers are people who are working across media and have like a kind of fuller body of work that you know they're influencing more because they're working different sides of the street so to speak but for the most part we've been pretty standard we did a guy who's created television shows with Mike Schur and we did a guy who's you know helmed films with Mike Judge and it's been like kind of standard in that way so I wanted to break away from that kind of path by doing a production company and a collective of directors which is kind of like old school in a sense of like I think the idea of like a collective I think is not very common uh in the modern day and so you know it's almost like in my mind it's like hearkening back to an era of like an art movement and like helming a manifesto right which is why i thought it was interesting i did a little peeking uh-huh. that it's out of spain right which has that whole tradition of the socialist communal community minded kindness yeah there's others pretty cool yeah i think there's kind of like a Bauhausy element to this too of like contemporaries who come up with one another and have a mutual respect for each other's work or whatever and can collaborate and have a kind of unified vision and uh, I think there are other examples. I mean, they're not alone in this. They have, I don't want to say competitors, but contemporaries who are doing uh, similar work. I mean, we're going to be looking at music videos by 
uh, the production company Canada. So instead of dancing around that for the entire intro of the show, there it is. But they're pretty broad in that these are the videos we're going to look at today are of all really quite different uh, musical artists, but they're all music videos. These are all artists that I quite love too. So I think it's uh, interesting. The musicians. The musicians, yeah. Okay. Uh, obviously, they had a say to a certain level of like who's going to be involved in the art direction or the making of the you know music videos promotional material and you know it's a glorified ad for the record like to be bluntly honest and especially i mean i think i'm very into music videos in a way that i know a lot of people aren't <laughs> um but i think the music video has certainly in the post YouTube era taken on a new kind of life in terms of its virality and you know it, it's a promotional tool like uh, by having you know at the advent of the music video I think all you would do is you would have your video on MTV and then you know it's the videos for the single the single gets popular or whatever and you can have radio play but the hope is that folks will go out and buy the physical copy of the single or a cuss single or whatever and than the physical copy of the record. But I think now, especially in a cultural moment where there are constant conversations over social media and all of these things, that, especially formats like Instagram or whatever that are visual in nature and whatever, and you can gifify everything, and the, the conversation kind of broadens and moments that happen in videos can be like analyze like we're gonna do with this and i think the sophistication and the production value of videos has certainly grown a lot since those early days of like i would say like music videos really start around like films of music videos like uh the beatles hard day's night or uh, magical mystery tour which are just like plotless and really or i mean there are loose plots in those films but it's really just almost a jukebox musical and video to video but what i like about this uh production company in particular is we have contained stories that i think we can uh talk a lot about they're they're really visually interesting which is really important i think to you and i and that's why i wanted to do um an episode talking about them and kind of take a departure from, you know, maybe talking about music or uh, some of those things because I think we shine when it comes to uh, the visual aspects and uh, breaking down those details, which we're obviously gravitating towards in our other discussions as well. And this is kind of on the nose with that and a lot easier to do. But that digression out of the way. What did you think just off the top of these videos? So um, basically what I wanted to say, I did, <laughs> I got off on a tangent there. But what I wanted to say is I think uh, there's something obviously relevant. Uh, um, we're going to look at four, like, I mean, they're indie, indie rock alternative artists, but I don't think they're all necessarily peers in a sense. I think there's diversity a little bit. And we're going to look at a video from Death Cab for Cutie, which is probably the oldest of the bands um, here, which comes from, like, 90s alternative is the origin there. And then we're going to look at uh, Phoenix, which is a French kind of electronic-y early 2000s band. And then uh, Tame Impala is like psychedelic rock kind of electronica stuff that has like almost a John Lennon-y sound. And uh, then finally we'll look at Beck, which Beck is obviously like ubiquitous throughout the 90s also, but uh, I think he's most notable for on every album he kind of reinvents his sound where in the early days i mean obviously his breakout hit is loser but uh with odalette and modern guild and each 
of his early albums. You like he's rapping on some of them. He's always uh, musically interesting in terms of uh, reinvention. And I think almost by working with them, he's reinventing himself. Them being this Canada collective, he's kind of re- reinventing himself for the current moment in, in a sense. So that said. What did you think? Let, let's go to our, uh, as uh, longtime listeners now will note, we have our certain staple segments. So here's our first segment of theme prediction. Uh, you predict it. I tell you what I think it is. And then we look through it uh, through all the films. That's films or uh, the body of work of the artist or songs or what have you. Okay, so I'm having a hard time whittling this down to one theme. There is something about layers of nostalgia Mm. and there's something about again roles of women just keep coming up again and again sure um this one's more about women to men Mm -hmm. i think but i'm having a hard time saying a word and encapsulating what i think the theme is okay i think that's fair and i think there are a bunch of themes and obviously we you know we try and monopolize is that a word which we, we try and kind of unify into one kind of simple overarching idea and you know i i mean we're gonna have a hour or so long conversation so obviously there are nuances beyond the just bullet point kind of theme so i appreciate that but what i will say is first off the bat i think but we're gonna go chronologically through these because uh, that's how we do it here in mom and pop culture i think the first two just in terms of the format of them are they're less narratively inclined they're more kind of a happening and kind of experimental in the method of filmmaking really and which you know we, we already know that just makes me nuts <laughs> experimentation just, not the experimentation uh, horrible the, narr- the lack of narrative like Oh, a lack of narrative. But hang, is... hang on, I, I said they're less narratively inclined. I don't think there's a, a whole loss of narrative because obviously, as we've talked about, I mean, the, the key thing in looking and analyzing any body of work is juxtaposition of images and symbols is going to create immediately any sequence is going to create, you know, the synapses in your brain are going to fire and you're going to create connections between them of some kind. So, I mean, I, I think there are like some narrative aspects anyhow, but... If we were really starved for that entirely, we would still be able to, I think, kind of, you know, through the collage lens as we have with some of the other things, analyze these. But I would just say in breaking down what we're going to cover. So those first two are Death Cabs, You Are a Tourist, Off Codes and Keys from 2011, which is one of their lesser albums in terms of critical reception. I quite like it, but that's me. But that said, uh, we're going to follow that up with a video that's actually for two songs off of Phoenix's album For Last, which this past one is Tiamo, which is the like Italian-flavored kind of sequel to Bankrupt, which was their album from 2014, which is all very uh, Japanese and kind of Orientalist in its sound. So yeah. what are they going around the world? Is in a sense, a well, I mean, they're, I mean, we can talk about Phoenix. The interesting thing here is, uh, I don't want to delve too deep into each of these groups because it is about their persona and their history, but it's almost more about how that's being used. So, like, a grain of that is necessary, I guess, but I don't know how necessary. But anyway, I think there is a kind of globalist, international kind of thing that Phoenix does. Also, they're very, like, filmically inclined, I think. You know, here's my uh, token uh, romantic knowledge, but... Thomas Mars is the 
lead singer of Phoenix is married to Sofia Coppola. So cinematography is in their blood. A little bit. Um, and they're constant collaborators. Uh, Phoenix is on like every soundtrack of her films, like uh, Lost in Translation and Bling Ring and all of those. Also, she directed the Bill Murray Christmas special that was on Netflix a bit ago, and they make a appearance as waiters. You know, it, it, the whole thing's a musical, so they do a bit of singing with him as well. That said, yeah, when they first started performing and reached success in the U.S., I don't think they even really spoke English. I know that's a constant thing that Matan, my brother, is always making fun of. So that's going to be the first two, but I think the second two are almost easier pair to kind of draw a line between, I think. But again, we're going to link all four of these. But uh, the second two uh, in order would be The Less I Know Better off of uh, Tim Paula's Currents from 2015 and Up All Night, which was off of uh, Colors by Beck, which came out last year, or now I guess two years ago after the new year, so 2017. And... Those, I think, could almost be sequels to each other, almost in the same kind of cinematic universe. I think all of these are could be in the same kind of, if we speak in those terms, cinematic universe in terms of how they're shot and color and saturation and the use of icons. And so I think we're going to look at that in particular. So the theme you put forward... Nostalgia. Yeah. Women in relationship to men. I think I'm more inclined to go go towards that one, and maybe we'll talk about that more. I think any postmodern thing, I think it's going to have a nostalgia-based element. But I, I think as opposed to... You seem pretty strong, though. Well, as, as opposed to some I mean, of the... Nothing was set in today that you could totally say oh yeah that's, that's contemporary i don't oh. think there was anything that you could say was contemporary well, like one start almost like stuck in like high school it's kind of a stereotypical high school cheerleadery watching the boys play kind of thing one was like doing the june taylor dancers like that was a huge thing right, but right what i'm gonna argue so i think we might be there might be more staunch opposition maybe than I foresaw in going into this. You provided two themes, and I think I'll provide two also. I think there's, like, a magical, realist, like, teenage dream. I think that's theme one. And I think theme two is, like, Ram Dass's Be Here Now kind of thing. Because everything is almost choose-your-own-adventure-y. And, I mean, in the case of the Phoenix one, which it's for the... Songs are trying to be cool, and there's the drum breakdown from another song in the album also, so that's why I say it's for uh, two songs, really. But, I mean, that one on the nose is, like, timed and choreographed to the point of, like, I mean, there's a note in the beginning that is happening live, and everything is about, really, presence in the moment. I think, I, I see a strong... Oh, that's the one where everybody applauds at the end? <laughs> Because they, they because the crew is going through and working everything as they work is so, through and they just follow it through this like so, funhouse kind so, of thing. Yeah, okay. So that's the second in our chronology, and I think it's. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. So it was like that was like one take. Kind yeah, of. yeah. Um, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking of it as being similar to, we'll talk about them, uh, we're going to go through them in a minute, but the fourth, the one that just came out practically, the 
uh, Up All Night video is also very like fantasy, like hero's journey, purposefully uh, illusions, and maybe it's nostalgic in that way. But it's very like first person. Right, gender reverse. Right. And you're with that character as her, I feel, in terms of how it's shot. So there is a lot of, I think, presence and being in the moment. I think we'll see that in all of them. But let's start at the beginning. A good place to start. <laughs> so you are a tourist. You are a Taurus. No, you are a Taurus. No, you. And that Taurus, like, traveler, not, like, your zodiac sign, mother. Thanks for sharing that with everyone. Well, doesn't it explain so much about her? I can't hardly stand it. Okay, so we're going to do what we've done prior, especially, like, uh, in our grind show, about talking through the visuals as they happen. What are we seeing? I'm seeing your hand blocking the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts out with this like really bright, uh, deep blue, stone cave like thing. And then it goes into this geometric thing. And the dude is walking through. The dude being Ben Gibbard, the singer of Death Cab. Yeah, him. There's also, I mean, there are geometric, like, and then there's, green they, lighting. And then there's, like, yeah, these compartmental lights with, with like, you know, it's kind of like, um... I think they're on timers. The dot... What do, you, what do you call them? The things we used to make in shoeboxes in school. Like a diorama. Dioramas. Like, scenes with, always, I think, women. For right. For the most part, in all of them. Almost being attached to but they look, strobe on the timers. Each one is being lit up at a different time. Yeah, but, you know, it, it makes me think of, like, brothels in... I don't know. Like Amsterdam. Amsterdam. It has that kind of look to it. And then this, like, troop of June Taylor dancers. Right. Like, made up in, like, full... Balloons get released. Lula Lou's kind of stuff. Now we truly have a strobe spotlight. Okay, um, now we have an aerial view that's almost reminds me of the synchronized. Yeah, swimming. but this is like straight out. There was a. Buffy um, Berkeley. A true Buffy Berkeley, but there's this one, uh, this troupe called the June Taylor Dancers. And they would always do these things, and it was part of the honeymoons. Hmm. Um, now Ben Gibbard is speaking directly to the camera, being photographed by these dancers, you see. And I think he was on the. Like lazy Susan kind of thing going around. And he's got a heart that's that, lighting that up. Light, yeah, there's, there's a lot of light and stuff. Yeah, but it, talk to me about the geometric patterns and things going on. Because a lot of flashing. A lot I think of, that's again, a, silhouetting. Of all I think that's of. a tie-in to, and, and maybe that's the percent of the band. I think is uh, geometric like symbols and things. It's up. The album is codes and keys, so the cover is like asterisks and, uh, you know, pound symbols. It's all, yeah, like, but symbology. Simple. But it's all, like, very geometric shapes. Like, there's a lot of geometric shapes. There's a lot of, like, what seem to be, like, all urban space now. Right? Yeah, and now we're back to the Dream Tower dancers. Right. Aerial view from flashing, above. And then flashing to these geometric, similar, like, cityscapes. Cityscapes, yeah. That the band's singing in front of with their... Hearts lighting up. The yeah. hearts light up kind of, it looks like that BT scene hearts lights up, you know? Yes. And Neil Diamond, uh, turn on your heart light. <laughs> well, now the buildings have become 
like sound levels, right? They're using the same physical landscape is being transformed by the light design. Oh yeah, that was always true. But uh, no, but, but it's being animated over. There are physical monitors on those okay. spaces, right? A lot, a lot of June Taylor dancer thing going on here. Right. And it's it's not going very well, I have to say. There you go. Okay, so... They, like, broke their symmetry and stuff. They were, it was kind of, like, didn't go well, but good for them. But, like, this it was, was all, live. It was what right. it was, right? So this is the first of the one-take kind of thing. Yeah. You see, that's uh, a bit of the album cover. They, I think, more with this next one, but... the. They work in combination with like Microsoft and Bing and yeah. HP. That yeah, I'm thinking. there's always like thank there's like to to corporate. There's grant funding to the kind of grant funding is weird. Well, with it's a commercial enterprise, like with people are rolling in it. Why do they need a grant? From well, the with this ne this next one is I mean, the corporate. I mean, I understand the corporations want the this. I right. understand from the corporate side why this would be a good thing, but. This is I have to say, for my generation, I find that very disturbing. The, You're supposed to be, like, you know, anti. You're not supposed to be. Like, it's Rockstar 101 not to be supporting right. the man. And well, here they're getting grants from the man to make this. Well, it's just. Like, this next one is the creator's project, which is, like, yeah, it is funded by, like, Intel. So it's all these tech companies that are trying to kind of... Coolify it, themselves. Well, but you know what it seems to me? I, I mean, there is often a technological element to all of these, so I guess you can kind of talk about that as being... Well, okay, if relevant. there wasn't but, one spot and a guitar, right. there's going to be a technological thing to it. However, right? I would say it's not dissimilar to me from the original corporate tech thing that tried to bridge that gap is the Apple Corporation because the entire conceit of their entire mission and advertising and branding is around beauty and the arts and how you know be inspired and all of these things I mean I think of I mean, their most famous commercial is their 1984 commercial of breaking out of the Orwellian structure of you know what, what came before which is you know P PC culture <laughs> Uh, PC culture in terms of personal computers, not political correctness, which is kind of funny given 1984. I don't know how uh, predominant personal computers work, but I think this is other tech companies trying to play catch up with the idea of you know another Steve Jobs example, you know that he was on the ground floor would be Pixar. This whole thing of we're doing technology but artfully, and I think there's a corporate want to make the banal and admittedly corporate into, you know, something that links them to the humanities and poetry and the, you know, passionate, yeah. lovelier side of things. I get all that. But even like Apple, like, okay, we peered behind that curtain, haven't we? Like Right. I think I, no, I, I think, think it's, it's all just... it's all bogus. That's my entire that, then right. again, if you're gonna give money is so that we can have art, it might as well benefit from the art. If you're gonna give money so we can have art, maybe you should do it to artists who need it. Death Cab for Cutie can probably afford its own production of its own song and doesn't need that infusion of grant money. <laughs> it just it rubs me the wrong way. It really does. I mean, it's the equivalent of what's his name going for Kickstarter. Zach Braff. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because you've bridged the subject, I'd like to ask a question, which is, why do we need multi-millionaires to keep being our artists then? Why do I need to give them any of my money when they are multi-millionaires already? Just because they're, 
uh, I don't really buy the idea of they have a love of the craft and this is what they were meant to do and all that. Like, why not have, you know, new artists constantly and no-name actors in our media and new artists all the time? Once you've reached a certain level of wealth, do we discount you from the culture? I think, I mean... I, I, I'm not sure that you understood my point. They're, they're wealthy artists because we've bought their product. We like their art and we purchase it. My point was, okay, but now that we've made them wealthy, do they need to get grants from corporations to create more product? Shouldn't that wealth be spread around to artists more in I think you're also overlooking but, the fact that no artist pays out of pocket for their own production. They're on a label. Right, the label does it. That's what I mean. Does right. the, uh, so <laughs> like, does one corporation need to pay another corporation a grant to do it? That you have to get, like, it's the grant piece that really rubs me the wrong way. They don't need a grant for that. Grants are for artists who need it, not for corporations who produce a video to go Well, what I'm asking is where's the line of who's an artist who needs it? How do we determine that? It ain't Death Cab for Cutie. But who's the arbit arbitrator? It, it's the artist you haven't heard of who's just starting out. That's the one. Not if the you one don't have a, mass. If you don't have a body of work so as to have proof of concept, how am I going to grant you anything? Um, I don't think that you need a body of work. You need a concept. You need to show that you could produce it. If everything is conceptual a... and without a body of work, you're not going to convince me well, to invest in it. I don't know. You, they can sample the song. You give them enough of a draft of what you were doing and think that idea is cool, then you invest in it. Right, but like corporations that want to use, uh, that want to license a song for an advertisement, like T-Mobile, say. Mm -hmm. What they do is they go to South by Southwest, where you get artists who are up-and-comers or whatever, but are backed by labels. They're already performing at South by. Like, there are structures for those kinds of things. In the same way that we've talked about Lauren Michaels a fair amount on this podcast, but the mechanism of how you get on SNL isn't by, like, you know, performing in the middle of nowhere in a comedy club or, you know, just sending in a packet and you're hired. Like, you gotta go the Groundlings route or Second City or UCB, which, I mean, there are problems there. In order to get into UCB and even get notoriety of any kind, you have to have money to invest in the classes to keep going with the hope that eventually you'll become famous or successful enough to have somebody in the audience that they might maybe, you know, be able to put, put you on the show. You know what I mean? It's like, I think the entire corporate structure isn't fair and I'm not a proponent of this or saying that it's fair it's just there's like a hierarchy of things I don't think it's so cut and dry you know even those quote-unquote unheard of artists are heard of by even the smallest label that has to have you know released their music in some capacity or another you have to walk before you can run and that's investing in a chain all the way down the line I don't think you're gonna I don't think you're gonna get corporate funding from like a conglomerate without being name brand you have to have a brand that they want to invest in because you're going to heighten their brand. You know, conglomerate star is going to rise. Their perception can't be rewritten in Intel, which is, you know, boring and who the hell cares. Like, they want to be hip and access like the indie crowd. How are you going to do that without one of the most famous indie groups that's been around and already, like, kind of paid their way? Like, you're not going to go for the unheard of group. That's why, like, for the T-Mobile commercial, where you don't have to even credit 
the group that you're playing the song of, sure, why not? You know, at least it gives you a beat and whatever, and, you know, maybe somebody will look up the lyrics of your song and whatever. But again, the, you've already reached a moderate level of su success just by having had a creditless five-second time slot on cable or whatever. I mean, there are grants that are more accessible to the public that these corporations give and scholarships and what have you. They tend to be few and far between. I don't know about Creators Project, really. It just seems like the entire concept of creators anything, all of that, I become wary of because it's a romanticism of an idea that isn't really accepted or embraced in our culture generally. The fact that the corporate techie companies are... I'm thinking also another Apple commercial that aired, I think, during the last Olympics where there's the audio that runs underneath it is a monologue of Robin Williams. This was right when he had passed away from Dead Poets Society reading Walt Whitman and about, you know, the reason why we live life, the meaning of life is all artistic and what have you and all these inspiring images and all of this is garbage. The entire thing is like buy our product and plug into a system and a mentality and culture that doesn't embrace art or pay artists in the same way that they do people who work and live in the corporate sector and you know in cubicle farms. I think it's it's useful only in as much as it's saleable. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Let's move on to the next video and let's try and draw some correlations. So here's another live performance. This one I think is quite a bit better and more interesting than the first one. I think it, it as you say, it does kind of improve the idea. They're already making fun of the fact that it's live, but he purposely misses uh, getting his quote on the coat rack. That's the first shot. Here's a theme of these numbers of counting that keeps appearing in them. Right. Not sure what it is, but it keeps appearing in different ways. They're being projected. Everything is timed and on a, a track. This is the one where you see the crew come through, right? Right. You see them working all the time. It's almost like I, I feel like their lesson from the first one is like, it's almost like uh, when, you know, Lake Entertainment will show their stop-motion artists when they show their hands actually moving their, their play puppets to show, like, the hands that work from something that seems so seamless. It's like a peek behind the curtain. That's the most memorable moment to me is he picks his uh, fake muscle. I'm disappointed that he doesn't put it on for us. I think there's a bit of a the diorama thing here is going on again. The diorama thing going on. It's less. It's just more pyrotechnic as opposed to just a light show. I'm going to go with Marilyn Monroe's thing. Right. Homage. Homage to the seven-year itch. So we've got fire, we've got wind, we've got numbers happening. The first video happens in complete darkness with then the lights. A lot of lights, right? And this is, I think the lighting is a lot more... Well, now it's darkened. <laughs> but... Now he's in spot. I think of this as being, there's kind of like a mouse trappy thing going on. Yeah. It's like a, um... A maze. Or like a Rube Goldberg machine, right? Like the domino effect. That's a clear allusion to uh, Bob Dylan, right? It's done so many times now, I don't know. 
It also happens in the Linux S music video from the 1980s, yes. We're talking about the cards being tossed. This is a track for the premise. It's a track for the premise. Mm. Oh, some of the flower imagery is now recalling, uh, like I said, the kind of Japanese influence of the record. Now we have a lot of people dancing again. That recalls the first video, I think. It does. Choreographed dancers around the band. It's a very different kind of dancing. I will say this: I have no idea what the lyrics are. Can't understand anything. Well, it's a good thing we're not evaluating the lyrics. Then, right, it's very good. And also, like, I had no interest in going and checking out the lyrics. Whereas in Death Cab for Cutie, I did. It's like it doesn't seem to be about the meaning of the song here, in any way. Right, Intel and Vice. Yeah. Well, we had that conversation already. Okay. So those are the first two, which are really uh, the happenstance live performance things. So what I would argue, I think there's a lot more of the tongue-in-cheek kind of, there are gags. That's really right. what I would say in that last one that are narrative. I think from the first shot of throwing the coat and missing the coat rack, that's a gag. The picking the mustache. Is and not putting it on. Right. It, and then it's a shot that goes straight to a baboon. Yeah, there's a motif that's going to come up again. Oh, we'll get there. Uh-huh. Well, ape! Right. Ape shall not kill it. So there's certainly that. But it's almost like it, it is just kind of a series of gags. There is the the nostalgia element for sure. Marilyn Monroe, that is a Bob Dylan reference. So there is a referential kind of aspect to it. But I think that there's the one shot that you see Thomas Mars is singing and then you realize it's upside down because it's done by the mirror. And then playing chess with the kid. Everything is kind of jokey and kind of has that off-kilter thing. But the use of color here, particularly, I think, when he puts on that jacket that says Phoenix, that's like a uh, varsity jacket, that's certainly going to play into the next video and each letter is kind of emblazoned in another peacock kind of color. So. There's a pretty colorless video mostly. Well it's mostly reds and there's the pink of the flowers but it's, it looks yeah. like it's a big garage or loft space. I think it's a warehouse. Yeah. Green. So it's not it's got nowhere near the color of the first one. That was all colorful light show and stuff. The numbers the re- repetition of the counting and right. the numbers motif is also well, it's very filmic too, right? It's happening, it's a countdown that's happening on clear projectors, and then there's all those illusions to film, I think. I think it's interesting as that we're looking at the production, and this is almost a commentary on production and producing a film, and right, right, behind the scenes kind of, you know, uh, I love, love, love when that drum breakdown, which is from a different song on the album, but to use the track and just have each drum beat be with a different set of drums and just have the one-point perspective of the drummer just walking down from drum to drum and each uh, drum beat has its own set of drums. I think that's so clever and a great use of really the entire thing. It's one shot, right? It's all that, that tracking shot thing that, you know, was then popularized in like 
a film like Birdman or whatever, right? Alfonso Cuaron's film that was talked about so much just because it's all continuous and you're just moving with them. And that's what I mean by that walking kind of first person perspective really, it forces you into being in the moment. And I mean, the one point... I don't know, I thought this was more voyeuristic in feel than that. I don't feel like we're going through with the guy. I think it changes, but it's almost like you're looking around. It's, uh, you know what it's like to me? We were talking a little bit off mic in the beginning about like those first-person shooter games or whatever. But it almost is like that, where you're in this world and you're kind of looking around. You have the ability right, to look around. Right, you're looking around, around but yeah, but you're not able to influence anything. And you don't know what the hell's going on. Like You're mm-hmm. looking around and you don't know what's going on. Okay. So I can see that. It's almost there's kind. Of, you also, know what I could see like it as. I, I don't come from. You know what it's also kind of perspective. Well, so it's not anything. I neither do I. That's why I'm gonna say it also re- reminds me kind of of those like 4D movie experiences or any of those rides at like Universal Studios, the Simpsons ride or whatever, where you're being jolted around in your seat and you know you're following whatever's happening on screen or there's star tours at so Disneyland. Like I know that, that we're concentrating on on the visual here and not on the song. Yeah. But I have no idea what that song is about. That video did nothing to inform me what that song was about. I, I, I well, so, like, I couldn't recognize that song. If you played it again and asked me, I wouldn't know that I had just heard that song. Like, I'm so busy looking. Songs. But I'm so busy looking at the visuals and trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And the words, like, the lyrics are just not really I think, clear. So I, I think I just, even beyond at the level of title alone, they're branding it as uh, being a video for trying to be cool above all of other things that's the name of the song and the lyrics are kind of a pastiche of different references it's kind of fitting how the video does that as well but i think if we look at each gag that's basically the concept of the gag we could like caption it trying to be cool he throws the coat right that's a cool move or whatever and then the coat misses the coat rack or you know picking the mustache and kind of (laughs) bending over and all of these it's just it looks goofy and there's a kind of comedy to it you know he's playing chess against a you know nine-year-old or whatever and he he beats him and oh how cool like i I think the nature of the title alone is kind of provocational to what the video becomes the most interesting man in the world sort of motif absolutely and i think that then when you get the shot from behind and he puts on this coat and all there's this like the champ Right, it's this kind of upending of uh, bravado and machismo. I, I think, think that's it's a perfect segue into the next one, isn't it? But... I think it is. Okay, so in fairness, uh, we always have the kind of trigger warnings for me in the show in that this is like a piece of work that's quite close to my heart in that I've probably seen this music video more than any other music video ever, ever, ever. Uh, I probably, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I see this video like once a day. So, and that's been true for the last like three years. So there we go. Oh dear. Well, I mean. I better, you know, tread lightly here. Well, uh, I'm fully open to criticism. This was oh, my idea. Yeah, yeah. It was my idea after it all. It was your and, idea. But uh, be, that, that. be that as it may, um, 
It's one of my favorite records of all time, and Kevin Parker's project, and Kevin Parker himself is someone we'll be revisiting later on the podcast because he's heavily influential on the side of music production. That said, let's roll the tape. We shall. This was a later single, I think, in my recollection. Tell the people what it is again. Tame Impala, uh, The Less I Know the Better. So the text... Even the title card, even before anything starts, is done up in the same style, I would argue, or a, a similar typeface as the satin jacket, the phoenix jacket of those, like, the classic kind of uppercase school lettering of, like, a varsity jacket. And then it cuts to a varsity jacket that says North. On a blonde girl. Right, so what I want to talk about first is... There's like a minute or so preamble to the song even starting. So, what do you think about that? Because the other one's very like moment to moment, and you know, I mean, the lights are in sync with the music in that first video we watched, and this is very much letting the narrative be the heart of it almost in the song. Be so, secondary. I think this is a setup because it's like it's this adolescent. You get one point perspective again through the locker. So it, it's like this very realistic thing. It's a drill of a basketball thing. Mm-hmm. And then it goes wacko. And then we right. get the magical realism here. Yeah. Right. So I think we're very much this character, evidently, because it's from his perspective. Right. Although maybe her, too, sometimes. I don't know. She's an object, but then, I don't know. She's super idealized. This whole thing is like an extended uh, visual depiction of a wet dream. High school wet dream. Yeah, oh, very much so. So you get the T there for Trevor. Who's Trevor? Trevor, of course, is the antagonist in the song. Who she's holding hands with. Who's depicted here by the gorilla mascot? The eyes being covered. That's another like bad image of all uh, sticks in my mind. Can we get more objectification at the point of silhouetting? And it's those same colors again. It's the same colors. Right, but it's the exact same palette as the text in the beginning. Neon paint. Yeah, exactly. That's almost like the Canada's like signature color because we saw it in the movie. Yeah, it's in the basketball. And I have to say, the art direction at the level of the palette is like incredibly consistent. Everything is just picking from that palette. I love the dancers with the, the kind of King Kong paws around them. It's like a visual depiction of like wrapped around uh, his finger before she was literally dancing around his middle finger.
Abstraction into like a bubbly kind of. Oh, oh, here comes like the. Empire State Building from King Kong. King Kong. The animation style is uh, very similar to the video to Take On Me by Aha. Uh -huh. That kind of comic booky thing. Credits are all with these flecks of those same colors and that same typeface. What say you? What say I? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? I liked it. What are your critiques? I liked it. I thought the actress was... Is she somebody famous? No. Not to my knowledge. She was um, beautiful and good and it was... Right? Yeah, yeah, she's really beautiful. I think... For... A silent interaction, right? Between yeah, she's them. fabulous. Yeah, the motif of the good guy and the both the ape and why does why do the girls always go for these ape-like guys and right and um, but the abstraction of it and the hallucinatory right vision of that's it what I mean about the cool. the like daydreamy kind of thing that aspect of I don't know if it's daydreamy as much as hallucination <laughs> or, or like I said a, a wet dream because I think there's the dreamlike aspect to me is yeah, at, yeah, at yeah. the level of abstraction where you know yeah, yeah, yeah. those those symbols and those motifs so is that like every is that every 16 year old boys like fantasy or yeah it's a 16 year old boys fantasy well no it's I don't know. Well, I, to me, I like, think the choice of the gymnasium... This one's basketball, but like... I know. think the choice of the gymnasium as, you know, I think gym class in general is, you know... Yeah, where all that stuff comes out. Right, that's all the physicality and the hormones and all of that. And at least in my public schooling, it was the flip side, the health class, quite literally, you know, so it becomes directly interlocked and changing rooms and all of that. And it starts out with the fellatio and the changing room. I love the... I love the looking through the inside of the locker. Right, I think it's I brilliant. Think so. That's really cool. Lee, that was almost more interesting than the fellatio, I have to say. But it, it <laughs> immediately, cool. again, it, we're literally like we're flies on a wall. You know, it gives us that moment-to-moment -moment perspective. Yeah, where... but it's also like, yeah, that's dreamlike too, right? You're always in some different place, and then it's switching, and you turn this way, and suddenly you're in a different spot or something. It's very dreamlike. Well, but I... I, I liked it. <laughs> Good. I'm not going to disagree any more then. Maybe we should leave it there. Yeah, we should just leave it there, but I think. I, I would say, I think the fact that it is so seamlessly, seamlessly dreamy, <laughs> that's almost a slant run, is a testament to like how tight the production is and how in control. There's so much control right. that they're exercising here. So I think in some ways this next one is like you said, uh, general's kind of reverse. But yeah, it's, it's now also we're watching the heroine. It's also another teenage situation. And the damsel in distress is a guy passed out on a billiards table. The first shot here is a motif that comes directly from the album. It starts out our view that instead of going through the locker, we're going through this uh, one point perspective here is through a hexagonal shape, which is a leitmotif of 
all the album artwork. It was done by a graphic artist who is a contributor to the New York Times Magazine and does a lot of graphic and shape-based work. You know, something that's often done now if they're not going to invest in full production of a video is they'll do what they call like a visualizer, which is, you know, they'll do like a little kind of light animation or a lyric video or something that's, you know, it's a lot cheaper to pull off and it's like a quasi video for a song, but without a full like narrative and production costs and all that. And all of those were basically different kind of images, these different hexagonal images that this graphic artist designed with like Beck's face on them or whatever, with little animation things. So it basically ties into the other thing. So I just think that's interesting for the starting point. Again, we start out without the song here, right? Right. I love how- The guy the, just passed out from drinking too much on top of a billiards table. I love how this banging of the street sign, kind of this repetition becomes almost leads in, that noise leads into the song. Is that true on the song? Is no. that true like But basically the, the stop sign is not going, right? That jangly guitar is kind of an echo of the, the stop sign is now like a shield. It's co-opted in that way. Get the guy passed out on the building table. I really do like to use their Right? Oh, Here we go, one point perspective. Now I get it, they're all moving through. Right? And we have these, the rooms to either side are kind of, I love that. I love how he's like, just pissing on the cold table. Right, I don't know why the atomizer had to be there, but I guess. Well, it's like that you, well, but then she, she's suddenly in her armor, right? That's her armor. And now we have the kind of red lighting again. So it's just this huge, Debauchery, yeah. you know. Every kind of, like, cliche of a teenage party. Actually, this is, the party is depicted really kind of realistically Well, that's why I love about him urinating. <laughs> you know, like, that's... Yeah, it's very... There's some grit and, like, the alcohol that's just everywhere. The girl on the roller skates for some reason. Now there's a quasi orgy going on. The armor's like magnetic now. <laughs> I just want to point out that shirt. The shirt the guy's wearing right next to the toilet is that light blue and that light yellow. It's like the same colors again. There's a very Jonah Bark kind of thing going on right. This is my new shirt. But the alcohol, like, I think it's important as it becomes like right, which I think is an allegory for her and for their, you know, it's their getaway car. She is the car, right? But she's carrying. She's, no, she's the knight carrying the damsel in distress, except the damsel is him. And now he's surfing. And now he's top. surfing on top of a Corvette. But you don't see her anymore. I think it becomes... Right, and it's a driverless Corvette at this point. That's what I'm saying. I think she is the car. Um, and then we get the hexagonal, the hexagonal shape again. 
That, and that's the end of closed door. I love this kind of handwritten type that it's using is wholly different than the other thing. It's a typeface that I think it's incredibly reminiscent of the type used in Stop Making Sense. Yeah, it's the same one. Which is uh, those long, kind of thin, scraggly, handwritten type letters. It's also uh, Spike Jones's Where the Wild Things Are uses the same typeface. Anyway, what do we think of that one? Kind of a yin to the last one's yang. Right? I like the last two better than better. the first two, production wise, narrative wise. It's just more, it's, it's more better for me. But also, I do want to make this point, and it's going sure. to be, it's, I'm going to disagree with something you said at the out, outset, like you said, oh, music videos have gone so far since the beginning of them, and I'm actually a little, I'm a little t- disappointed in how not far enough away from the originals I think they've come. Like, in the beginning, yeah, it was an illustration of the song, Mm-mm. and then... I disagree. Uh, look, I know you did, but just listen, let me finish no, my point. No, but if you look point. at the original music videos, they're tape performances. There is no secondary imagery. Even. I'm talking about the MTV thing. They were like... Illustri- that's already the 1980s. I was talking about A Hard Day's Night, which is the 60s. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the film. I'm talking about like music videos when they first came that's out. That's the advent of the music video, though. I'm not arguing your point of where they came from. They came from these films, but... I'm saying, and maybe I'm stuck there, is like they were narrations of the lyrics, more or less, kind of. They were illustrating the lyrics, more or less. And they were to sell the single and all of that stuff. And so in this new era where there are so many different layers of and different media that one artist will work with, that you don't just... You're not selling an album. You're selling sometimes a complete universe of a something or other, right? Right. It's a a tie-in to that whole universe, right? Right. To me, like, I would think that the music video, I think there would be more like the last two that we saw more often than still just trying to sell the song that I think happens still. So you're saying more music videos should be like these? Yeah. Well, I, I think that... I agree. I would. Have I like ex- them quite. No, I would have expected <laughs> that we would be there already. That, that this the, wouldn't be so novel. That the song would have somehow minimized a bit, and that it'd be part of this whole more universe. That these productions would be less song focused, and I would see less of the guy with the guitar because we see the guy with the you know right. we see no, them I agree. every day now it's not you know well, when we used to see the music videos it was like oh that's what he looks like mm, you know mm, what i mean it was like only time we ever got sure, a, a sure. glimpse of these guys that and in the in rolling stone magazine you know what i mean like these we were radio fo- focused right. right so this is like a big deal to even see the artist video killed the radio star thank you so <laughs> But we don't need that anymore, and productions are so, you know... I think, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I think it's because you and I are like-minded and that we prefer visuals. I think, you know, as a music artist, I mean, I, I think they have to kind of remove ego in order to let another creator kind of take their baby and do something like this. Because what's happening here is 
You have the raw material of like, the less I know the better, like if you listen to the lyrics, the video it really works well. It, it is a kind of right. point. But do, for... do we even see the artist? We don't, we don't see no, the it's a point. Ever. It's a point for point illustration, but Kevin Parker's not in that video either, the Tame Impala video. Right. What, what I'm saying is... And that's okay with me. I right. don't need to see a guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to see a guy, like, pretending... Strumming a guitar, right? Yeah. And, and lip-syncing to his own song. Lip-syncing to his own song, and, like... But what I'm saying is I think that's a testament to the worldliness and kind of... Maturity of those Well, artists. the artistic integrity, really. It's an approach, right. Well, it isn't Kevin... Wanna, Par- I want to be a rock star. I want to be a... I want to create a universe. Kevin Parker now... Like I said, that album came out in 2015. I think he did a performance, maybe even of that song, on The Tonight Show just this past year. That He's taking his time with his next solo album, but he's a producer, first and foremost, and he's been collaborating with people. And I think that's rather telling. He has a more collaborative kind right. of energy right. that, you know, like... I don't think he was on set for this. He doesn't have to be. That he he trusts in the artistic right. vision. Right, you know? right. And all of this, I guess, I'm really, I am kind of interested in what that process was. Like how Death Cab for Cutie, were they just plunked in or were they working with Canada to create this thing? Like did Canada present it and they said, yeah, I like that, I don't like that. Or was it the reverse to Canada say, here's where you're going to stand and we're going to have these things and you're just going to do your... Like, I wonder how that... I think it ties in directly to what our little foray, our discussion about the corporate influence. The last two did not have the same corporate influence as the first two, right? Those corporations that are investing their money in a grant or whatever, they need the face of the rock star so they can Mm -hmm. sell product. Interesting, yeah. Here, it's about artistic integrity, and you can, in my opinion... The last two videos, I agree with you. I think they're better than the first. I mean, I quite like the first two. You know, particularly, like I said, I think that the Phoenix one gives you those glimpses, at the potential of what the second two deliver on. But I was watching and when we were preparing for these, uh, looking at some other videos that they also produce. Uh, these guys, it's two primary directors, these two primary Spanish directors whose names sadly I don't have off the top of my head but they'll also produce under that name individually too kind of and whatever which I think is an interesting thing to do as like as a team which is kind of paralleling the music piece but it is if it's not like directed by as the credit uh, produced by credit and I was looking at some other videos that I think have some of this quality, but I don't know. They're interesting. Secrets by The Weeknd, which samples Tears for Fears, which is my favorite band, and The Weeknd is uh, one of my favorite artists also. I think the video is quite strong, but... Uh, and for another podcast, has I guess. Some of these elements, yeah. yeah. And then the one that I just watched is Airborne by Cut Copy, which is off of their most recent record, and that was like this in a sense, but it seemed kind of off the rails a little bit in that it had those elements of, uh, you know, the the echo motif kind of thing that we see with the gorilla, say, in The Less I Know the Better, that we keep seeing that again, and the color palette, we keep seeing that again. Here, that motif seemed to be ketchup, and the narrative seemed quite lacking. And it was interesting to me because these last two, the only reason why I bring them up is these last two were more individualized on the part of these directors. So I wonder if two brands are better than one. Th- no, that's and my that argument. Collaboration thing that's is my better. argument for the like the collective kind of idea cuz here we get It's just interesting cuz you're such an an individual artist, like a lone artist well, yourself. Well, that's very true, but some criticism I've gotten in like academic settings and things is that it might do, do me better to kind of 
being a collaborative situation. It's a tricky one as an illustrator. It's kind of a it, uh, lone kind of thing, right. usually. Well, but, I mean, it is collaborative in terms of you're working with an art director and all of those things. I don't know if that's collaborative or servile, but, uh, yeah. No, no, that, that, that's a valid point. But even so, uh, I said it about Grimes, right? We said that, like, she has such a particular vision that the well of images and things that she's going back to, but then the song that you like best from her was one where she was, We Appreciate Power, right? Was one where she was collaborating with Hana, right? And what I had said on that show was like, you know, that's the argument for collaboration, right? I also, I have to say, I was thinking about this today also, like, Grimes is all this, like, very hobbity kind of stuff, right, or with the like Tolkien tattoos, and the, what have you. or the and and or the like sci-fi kind of stuff. And here, I have to say, I'm like kind of tired. I'm like waiting for somebody to invent another not human kind of thing because we've got okay, we got the futuristic thing, we've right. got the like fairies and giants and whatever stuff. Fantastical lore, yeah. Yeah, which is often combined with, like, royalty stuff, right? Right. And then, okay, so for a while there was zombies, which I can't even stand. Like, that's even worse. Like, come up with something else to do it. But these guys don't. They take the stuff of everyday life. Right. That's the magical kind of realist quality. And find, like, a magical thing that isn't, okay, yes, there was a knight kind of thing in right. it but it wasn't Game of Thronesy in any way it right, was like and that morphed and, and changed it as it went through I love how it's so personal to her right because I love that, that it's in this gritty disgusting yes. adolescent party with vomit and pish you know what I mean no like, absolutely just, I, 100% I agree with that but what I also take away from it is first of all like I said that first shot that, you know, our silent kind of, the cold open, if you will, after the guy collapses on the table and right. we first see and the banging I, our sign. protagonist is she gets the stop sign down and that's her shield, right? Making, you know, something that I, I've said this before that I'm really attracted to, you know, recycled art. Like, I love the idea of taking something that serves a purpose in one way and kind of, you know, my greatest love in the world, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, their whole thing was, you know, right. taking, beautifying, and, you know, uh, we are looking at a table full of... Uh, Collage made out of magazines, yeah. Project so. my mother's working on. I absolutely love that. But the other thing I wanted to say is what's so true about it is, like, how personal it is, I think, to that... Personal, but kind of a universal adolescent... Right, but it's so much from her perspective, right? Like, you can see her imagination of her, you know. Also, she is the knight the, in shining armor. And, and she's the gonna... outsider. Like, she looks oh, at all, yeah, these, for sure. all these types, and she's not that. She's the weakling with the animizer, right? Not the... She's not the most developed girl. She's not made up. She's not anything right. but her. Right? And, and we get an echo, almost, or a, a similar kind of situation to... Uh, the Oblivion music video with Grimes, where Grimes is in the locker room. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, Right? Yeah. And we have, uh, I love that shot of, you know, you think, of, okay, what's a night like the battlefield here? It's, you know, football players or whatever in a high school s- situation. And this, you know, small kind of sprightly girl is just, you know, jumping over them with uh, with that focus and determination. I think that's great. I think their work is, like, incredible. I, I love that. I think visually, like, you can see it's their work and so whenever I like 
see a new video or whatever and without the intro title card or whatever i i love the you know a cornerstone of a tourist theory is that signature style and that's all over the place here all over the place and that is like very clear i think which i like and, and i like what the signature style is uh more to the point so i think this was altogether successful and it brings us to the ratings a classic classic segment that we love which is indeed the rating and so our rating is again just as a reminder on a scale of one to ten one being never again this is horrible and offensive to me <laughs> and ten being i loved love love this to the point where beyond the confines of this podcast and maybe future echoes uh, back to the show as the podcast continues or what have you i will on my own go and pursue uh-huh. this Oh, now you're upping the thing. No, it was... I on my own go and no, look that's... for this. That's... Yeah. Mother, we record this so often, <laughs> and it's always give or take the same rating. Our listeners can back me up on that. So, okay. I, I mean, I'm putting it in on different my, terms, but it's the same deal. On my will I go and seek it? I that's, that's 10. Like... That's 10, of course. That's, that's the highest 10. rating. And one is like, uh, I'd like thing. to forget if it ever happened. you come to me and said... <laughs> Mom, there's another Canada. They dropped another video. Do you want to see it? I would say yes. I need a number for the (laughs) through line of our... Uh, We need a number. I said eight. Eight has been my highest so far, right? Who'd you say eight on? I don't think we've had any... I think that was Grimes. Yeah, actually we did. Yeah, you're right. You said 6.5 on what you'd seen to that point and eight going forward. Which, you're giving me too many numbers at that point. I think okay. an 8 is a, right. a so solid demarcator for her. Yeah. I will give this one a 9. Oh. Yeah. I am so stoked. Yeah. And I think this is... Yeah. I, I like that we... Uh, it's interesting for me that also they're not American. <laughs> oh, no. Like for a, sure. They're not American, and they're but they're playing with American motifs, but they're not American. And so. accurately. In a very accurate way. Yeah, like, in a very accurate way. So It doesn't seem foreign, you know. No, but I guess no. I guess not. Um it's just basketball. It's just you know. If they're gonna make it for like a European audience, I guess they'd go with football. Why? They play basketball and football. Europe. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't have the same achievement kind of thing. But yeah, nine. Nine. I liked it. That's great. Okay. The music so. was like eh, secondary, but yeah. Actually, the music, I, mo- I almost knew all of it, so right. it didn't bother. I'm sure, I'm sure there, you've yeah. heard it. In. And like I say, although we weren't focusing on the musical aspect, these are, in the case of like Kevin Parker and some of these folks, uh, this gives us kind of a foray into them that we can build on later. And like I say too, this kind of being the first production company collective that we're looking at, I know of others, and I'm sure we'll have a compare and contrast kind of situations in the future uh thank you so much for doing this oh thank you <laughs> yes. oh, what, what are we going to tell people what we're doing what's the segment we do uh what our final doing? segment of course is plugs have you any plugs if not personal then pop culture suggestions did i already anything? say the henry lewis gates I did, didn't I? It doesn't hurt to say it again, I don't know. Henry Louis Gates, PBS, genealogy series. Finding Your Roots. Finding Your Roots. Just I think you can find some of the episodes on YouTube or in, in oh, different yeah, yeah, places. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, it's public TV, so they don't 
when they do other TV. But uh, we just watched one with Andy Samberg and uh, George R. R. Martin, and it was quite interesting. So yeah, and I'm saying that, and I always, anytime I hear you're watching this, I think it's a snooze. So. I, I came into the room multiple times because I was interested. So, uh, Well, in terms of my own personal plugs, you can uh, follow me on Instagram at rock, uh, like rock and roll, uh, and like rock and roll, dinero, like money in Spanish, LL, rock and dinero, like rock and roll. <laughs> I have to say I'm totally confused now, but Okay. <laughs> So that's on Instagram at Rockintonero. You can contact us at rejuco at gmail.com if you have any suggestions, questions, comments, etc. And you can find this podcast on SoundCloud under my name, Ari Dinero. That's A-R-I, Dinero, like money in Spanish. And like in my handle, D-I-N-E-R-O. And you can find Mom and Pop Culture on iTunes, of course. And a pop culture suggestion. I just watched, Flix released a new series with Asa Butterfield and Gillian Jacobs called Sex Education. I watched the entire season in one day. It was quite good. It had a fantastic uh, musical soundtrack that was very, like, heavily 80s inspired, but... Um, not all of it was, you know, the hits, so to speak. It had a kind of more alt 80s sound. And a lot of original music that is modern, but kind of fit in with that. Uh, That's what you well. like best of the whole series. I like the music the quite music. a bit. But I'll tell you what, I also looked into the cast that weren't the, you know, Gillian Jacobs, of course, we all know from X-Files. And, you know, being a sex icon, etc. <laughs> she was phenomenal in this. But everyone else is... Uh, really like a newcomer even you know it's a British TV show and they're all some of them had been on EastEnders or whatever in bit parts but many of them like this was their first real foray uh, they've been like what I liked about the show honestly ultimately is you know we have like teen sex comedies galore I think especially even on Netflix with like a series like Big Mouth or other things like that but uh, what was interesting to me about this it was the treatment of interracial relationships was really interesting and like omnipresent throughout the series and just not even really considered as being odd. Queer relationships were abundant. Anyway, what do you have to say? <laughs> That's nice, dear. Good night. <laughs> night, everybody. It's been real. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.